Hello and welcome to Five Alive. Uh, we are gathered here today to read the word of the Lord, and I'm just going to jump right in and start setting this up before we read the passage of Scripture, which is found in the book of John, the seventh chapter. We're going to le- read the last verse, 53, and jump on into chapter 8 all the way through verse 11. And so just as a reminder, what we have going on is the Feast of Booths has taken place, or the Feast of Tabernacles, if you will, and it has come to an end. Jesus has taught, and uh, as people are in just absolutely in awe of him, and there are other people that absolutely hate him, and uh, the crowd has mixed emotions, and at the end of the day, it's getting ready to get dark outside, and so people start heading home. And as they start heading home, they go to their different houses there in Jerusalem because not as unlike today, they didn't have electricity. So you don't have street lights and street lamps and torches on your phones that you can then, you know, just click on real quick uh, and and mobile key torch, you know, you don't have that. So you've got to actually um, get to your location more than likely before dark has just completely overcome. And we are talking a feast of booths takes place in the fall. And so darkness comes earlier in the day. And, um, and so we have all of the people going back to their homes, but not Jesus. Instead, it will mention, we'll mention, it as we read it, that he goes uh, to the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives from the Temple of Jerusalem is several miles away, and um, and he goes there, and this is, uh, I just kind of want to bring this up uh, and, and keep this in our mind, is that he goes these few miles to the Mount of Olives, and maybe there was a booth there uh, or a tabernacle that was there that was set up. Um, that's part of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles is they would set up temporary booths to remind the people of their time wandering in the wilderness. They would keep the um, roof off of it so they could look up into the heavens and see the stars and see how God had created the earth and how important this was. And and in fact, I had the awesome opportunity to see a couple of tabernacles that were put together in Lithuania, a country in the Eastern Bloc of Europe, a couple of years ago as some of the Jewish people in that city of uh, Vilnius were celebrating the Feast of Booths while I was there with my children. And and, uh, and so maybe Jesus goes to a tabernacle. Maybe Jesus goes to a friend's house. And maybe he just goes there to pray. Some people have believed that he went to the Mount of Olives, that, he, that maybe he went there to pray, just like the night that he would later be crucified on, he went to the Mount of Olives and prayed. Um, but the main thing to recognize is that when Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, or Luke chapter 9, verse 58, he says these words, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the the son of man has no place to lay his head. And that's exactly what happened that night. As divisive as the crowd was, some of them believing in him and some not believing in him, nobody invited them to their home so he could stay in Jerusalem. He had to leave the city in order to have a place to lay his head that night. And um, so then we have Jesus awakening very, very early, early in the morning, and he walks back to Jerusalem, to the temple, and early in the morning, he begins to teach. And so that catches us up with where we're at, and so we're going to go ahead and read uh, the word of the Lord, and uh, starting in John chapter 7, verse 53. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. 
The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed in her in his midst. They said unto him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such woman. So what do you say? Thus they said to test him, that they might, <coughs> might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? He Has, has no one commend, condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now, sin no more. All right, brilliant. And so this is our passage of Scripture today. And so I just have a few questions uh, and, and a few points, and, and, and then we will, um, we will bring forth some discussion. Uh, so first of all, I'm just, I'm just curious. In this passage of Scripture we just read, who is it that is bringing condemnation upon the woman? And of course, condemnation kind of reflects immediate guilt. Like they say, you are guilty. And so who has brought the woman and has said, you're guilty, bringing upon her public shame. The people? The people? The people. Absolutely. So, like, let's get a little bit more into it. Like, what people have uh, specifically uh, specifically gotten into a conversation where they think that this is a woman that deserves to be condemned? Who, who would that be? The Pharisees. Absolutely, the Pharisees. Um, so religious leaders, any, anybody else? I mean, so far we've got it, uh, religious leaders, we've got the people or the crowd, society as a whole, um, uh, culture condemns her. Um, Hey, it's, it's basically a group of men that we have here. She's really the only woman mentioned. So, um, men are bringing this against her. Um, and then, and then just out of curiosity, um, who offers her peace? forgiveness and true love jesus yeah jesus does and is this popular no you want to elaborate on that <laughs> it's not popular it's not popular that jesus is countercultural to the sin that is being brought before them uh, but also notice in this passage passage of scripture he's counter shame he's counter shame um he comes to the point at the end of this passage of scripture where he says, woman, who condemns you? And she says, no one, Lord. And he says, and neither do I condemn you, which gives us a reflection back a couple of chapters ago when we were reading in John chapter three, uh, when we get to verse 16, the most famous passage of scripture in all the world uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And people liked that verse so much and it continues, for he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
I mean, wow, that's just powerful stuff to me. And Jesus is speaking this word of life and, 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 and hope into this woman's life. And, and he's standing up against the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders and the crowds and people who have culturally said uh, that there is nothing but damnation and condemnation that is deserving of this woman, this sinful woman. And, 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 and yet Jesus and all of who he really is uh, in John chapter 1, he's the one that spoke the world into existence. He is the creator. Um, he created all things that are good, and in him and through him, nothing bad was created. And yet we have this woman, but where's the man? We have this woman, and, uh, and, 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 and is giving completely guilty verdict, no trial, but just automatically condemned. And she's not given an, a, a case for absolution. No, she is convicted. And where is the man? That's the question that we always have uh, when we read this passage of Scripture. Because if we look at the Old Testament law, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, both the man and the woman should be punished. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, both the man and the woman in an adulterous affair shall be put to death. And so that's what the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes are bringing forth to Jesus on this day. And so is this a just society that brings only the woman before Jesus asking for a message of death or of complete punishment? Is this fair? Where is the man? Is this fair that they would bring her out? I mean, it says they caught her in the act. Is it fair that they caught her in the act, pulled her out of bed, pulled her out of the bedroom, caught her in the act, obviously with somebody, and yet it's only her that's thrown on the ground in front of Jesus? Is this fair? No. No. How could it be? But can I also ask you this? Is today really any different? No. No. I mean, let's assume the woman's guilty. Is it Jesus who's looking for her death? Is it Jesus who's looking for her blood? Is he the one that is coming and standing over her and pointing his finger at her and saying, shame on you? No. No, it's not. In accordance with John chapter 3, verse 16, uh, God's plan is to search out is not to search out and to destroy all who sin against him it's god's plan to love everyone and so some people like to say that they take passages of scripture like this and they say well this is must be a new god or a new type of teaching jesus is teaching something that may be contrary to the old testament what do you think about that He's not teaching anything contrary to the Old Testament, according to what you've already said, because they only brought the woman. So Jesus can't judge correctly because there are not two people there to judge between. Okay, absolutely. So that's one thing. But what about the fact of Jesus's love for her and not condemning her? Is that a different message, a different type of God? Again, I say no. And I want to take the same story that Jesus points to so often, the prophet Jonah. The prophet Jonah was a man that was asked to go to the land of Nineveh and to preach the good news of who God is so that the people of Nineveh would repent of their sin. Now, these weren't a people that were 
Jewish in belief. They weren't a people that abided by Jewish law and Israeli community cultural uh, lifestyle. They aren't even a people that ate like Israelites. They aren't a people that walked like Israelites. They weren't a people that dressed like Israelites. They were completely different. And yet God sent a Jewish prophet to what would be known as idol worshipers, the same people that would come and destroy Israel, piling up their bodies on the entrance to cities. Uh, Ninevites were a ruthless and brutal people who would decapitate people's heads and pile up their skulls over in a heap and the bodies separated from them. And yet Jonah was to go to them and he was to preach to them, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because God loves the world. God so loved the world. And so what is the grievance that these men had against the woman? What is the chip that's on their shoulder? Does shifting blame from one wrong and pointing the finger at another wrong solve anything? Of course it doesn't. And so, I mean, I'm just kind of looking at this and I'm thinking of what we have going on in today's society, what we have going on here in the nation of India, what we have going on in Europe, what we have going on in China or in America, and everybody's constantly blaming somebody else. Do you think that the scribes and Pharisees are any different looking to try and find somebody to accuse and point the finger at them? I mean, the scripture says that they're trying to trap Jesus, but don't you think they're also looking for an excuse to point their finger to try and justify their actions? What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. Complete with that. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, it's always easier to blame someone else than to look on the inside of who you are. You know, like, I'm fine, I'm good, you know, but this person... You know, they're guilty and they need to be killed. So, I mean, justification of oneself. Right. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I I actually wrote a list of things that people go through on my notes, but I'm not going to go through that because I don't think it's worth it. Um, uh, Because pointing the finger uh, and believing our grievance matters more than anyone else's, to me, it's almost like there's just this overwhelming fear that that controls us to jump into pointing our finger at somebody else, blaming somebody else for our faults. I can remember growing up as a young man, uh, the one that I would always hear in my own household was, I can't help it, I was born this way. Or, I can't help it that God made me this way is one that I heard within the Christian community. Um, and and then uh, and then I hear so many other uh, other excuses that people have thrown up as I've gone throughout the years. It's not fair that you're telling me about Jesus. My mom and dad died, or my grandma and grandpa died, and they didn't get to hear this same message. So I can't believe on Jesus because my family member didn't get a chance to believe on Jesus. Oh, really? Did you know your grandparents that well that you could make those kind of judgments for them, or are you just afraid that? you'll be found out as an imposter. This is something that I started noticing that has come up on lots of conversations within the community of, of psychology, et cetera. There's a, a podcast that comes up. It's uh, uh, on, on NPR um, that talks about depression. And they, about once a month, have a podcast where they're talking about imposter syndrome. 
And a part of imposter syndrome is being afraid that people will find you out. And so you always blame other people for your problems. Um, here's another thing. We live two different, maybe we live two different types of lives. Maybe we live one way at home, but when we go to work or we go to school, we live another way. And we're afraid that the two may collide one day and people will find out who we really are. And so therefore we blame other people for what we will be found out. Sometimes we're guilty. We walk around with a guilt and a shame not put on us by God that he's standing over us with a lightning bolt ready to strike us or a two by four to hit us over the head. But we walk around with a constant guilt within our hearts, within our inmost being, knowing there's something wrong. And then we, we try and blame somebody else. Sometimes we say, oh, it's God's fault that this happened. Or if we have a loving God, how could he allow such things to occur? And we try and place the blame solely on him. Or we look to other people within our community or even outside of our community. And we say, it's this person's fault that this is what's going on today. And I know I'm being very vague because there's just so many areas that this fits into of our lives. And why is that? I think it's because we recognize that our sin deserves death. I think we're afraid deep down inside, just, just jumping straight to the root of it, clearing away all of, the, all of the excuses. I think we know, we know that we're sinners. Uh, turn Xavier to Roman, or Blair to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. And, and um, the first sentence of verse 27, we're just going to kind of stop there. Um, but Romans 3 21 through 27. I mean, this speaks so powerfully. The apostle Paul does here in this passage of scripture. It's, it's quite telling of who we are as a people. Oh, she, we're having a little technical difficulty here. Hang on just a moment. The app keeps on shutting down. Romans 3, 21 through 27a. And, and, and this is the apostle Paul speaking specifically to our heart. So the first sentence, yeah. Oh, sorry. All right, Romans three twenty one through twenty seven twenty seven a. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in. Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a probation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? Yeah. Then what becomes of our boasting? I mean, if Jesus paid everything, if he did everything, if he gave us life as a gift, then what of our boasting? What does it do? What, what, good, what good is it that we say, I am so much better than my neighbor because this is the kind of life I live and look at me and look at the money I make and 
shame on them for doing this thing. And can you believe their children for doing such and such and such and such? And I mean, that person has a brother who, or my uncle is, and we, and we boast about how good we are to try and take the spotlight away from our sins and the guilt that we carry around with us when we're full of sin and not fully trusting in who Jesus is. If we boast in anything, we are to boast in Christ and the glory that he has redeemed within us. And that's exactly what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 3, 21. And I don't think it's any different in this passage of scripture um, when Jesus is, is, is speaking to the woman. Here she is thrown at his feet and uh, as he's been teaching and they tell everybody, look, this woman was caught in adultery. And what do we do with her? Do we kill her? Or do we let her escape for free? And Jesus kneels down and starts writing in the dirt. And I, I remember as a kid, I heard a, a, a Christian comedian once say, I was like 15, 16 years old. Uh, he said, you know, you always wonder what was Jesus writing in the, in the dirt. And he said, I think, I think he was writing the names down of all of the people's girlfriends. And that's why they began to leave one by one, beginning with the oldest ones, is because Jesus was writing down the names of the adulterous affairs that they were having because they're hypocrites. And I mean, that's kind of funny to joke around about and things, but the, the, there's some truth and there's some reality in that, that we are all attempting at some point in our lives to hide something. And instead of allowing Christ to shine his light into all of who we are, and that's actually what we'll be talking about next week is the light of Christ. Um, this is so important that we see this last passage of scripture Jesus turns to her and says, has no one condemned you? She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. And so just with a few points that we've talked about so far today, and then I'm going to kind of bring it to a close and, and more discussion is, who are those that are bringing forth condemnation? Who is the one that goes and says that you're guilty? And I would say that what we walk around with is we have a fear that society will say that we're guilty. Our family will say that we're guilty. Religious leaders would say that we're guilty. That we are sinful people that we have no way of being recovered from this. And we're fearful, for, fearful of that. And so in turn, what we do is we put a proverbial chip on our shoulder and we have a grievance with everybody that stands against us. That's point number two. Is we try and blame everybody else for our faults, our problems, our wrongs, our sins. And it's everybody else's fault because it sure can't be mine because obviously I'm perfect. I mean, we would never say that. We always say, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. But I mean, what kind of excuse is that? And so the final thing is, um, do you think Jesus is only referring to the sexual sin of the woman when he looks at her and says, go and sin no more? Or could he also be wanting us to notice a few other things? Do you think he wants us to notice that he did not condemn the woman and so therefore we have no right to go around condemning other people? There is a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 7, judge, lest you, judge not lest you be judged. Is that not what Jesus is also teaching us in this passage of scripture? 
He has the power to cancel sin. Go and sin no more. In other words, your sins are forgiven. And who can do that other than God himself? Who, can, who has the power to forgive sin? How about not jumping to quick conclusions about other people or stereotyping them with wrong judgment? Or maybe even right judgment, because maybe the person is not a good person to be around, but maybe the person that you've been put in contact with needs to see the love of Jesus that is inside of you. And you have an opportunity to walk with them through what forgiveness looks like, because you've been so easily forgiven by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords when you believe on Jesus Christ. He says you are welcome into his fold and he forgives you, so freely forgive. Maybe that's what Jesus is teaching. Is there anything else that we can draw from this passage of scripture that Jesus is teaching us today that maybe I've missed out on or Maybe there's something else that that go and sin no more really uh, has spoken to you today that you just want to share with us. I mean, I would say that the woman that was left, that one-on-one between her and Christ Jesus, she would have to come to the full conclusion of repentance of her sin. I mean, because that is what Christ ultimately wants, you know, to go and sin no more. So I would say it would had to have been like a, a turning point, so to say, in her life, like, crap, what have I been doing and why have I been doing this? You know, just questioning her own self and her own walk of life, you know, when did this begin? You know, I mean, you just question every single, you know, the day you were born to maybe age five to, you know, go back to 12. And I mean, because I don't know how old the woman was, but you just rethink back through those things. And it's like, why is this man, number one, sitting down, not even sitting down, but bending down and writing? I mean, so culturally uncouth and um, and gentle and, and speech and how is it that he can say you're forgiven and so I, like I said it has to be that turning point of her of that true repentance like she knew somewhere in the teachings of and had heard you know I need I need to repent of my ways and go and sin no more mm. not to say that that's not the the easiest thing to do no, I mean you it's it's a daily it's a daily thing and that and and that is ultimately what Christ wants is for us to to do that and it and it it's with all all manners i mean sin is sin and there's no labels on it whatsoever but um but like even if a a case was brought before you and you're at the courthouse and nobody comes to the courthouse to accuse you of what you've done usually the judge will dismiss it and you're set free you know, and it could be, it could be anything. And that's, that's how Christ is. Are you thinking of a particular time that you saw that in action or anything like that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember, um, you, Matt, it was almost near Christmas. We were, um, driving in our car. We were at that time in the United States of America um, I think all we had was little Addison at the time. And we were um, coming up, we're downtown Nashville, and we we're coming up, and it kind of approached like this little hill. And then the hill goes down so fast, 
But as that hill was going down, there was a school zone, and the school zone, you can only go um, 15 miles per hour. But because we're at the top of the hill, and you're like, ooh, we're at the top of the hill, here we go. And it's like, you just kind of let the gas go, and you're automatically at 50 miles per hour. And it's like, you know, woo, 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 you, and it's like, oh no. And then you like look around, and it's like, yep that's me i'm being pulled over and you got pulled over and you're and you know and the officer was like sir do you know what speed you were going oh yes i was totally going 45 50. he goes do you know what kind of zone you're in and i'm like zone zone oh no and we were right at a school zone and the schools were dismissing i mean goodness gracious we could have hit a child you know nobody was crossing or anything at that moment but still just all those horrible thoughts run through the mind of, oh, no, I could have been that person. And and he's like, and, and I was totally guilty. Yeah, I mean, we were totally guilty. Yes, I will take that ticket. Now, the ticket was about one hundred and twenty dollars. And he's like, OK, you got to show up in court. Well, the court date was set for like December 23rd, you know, like two days before Christmas. And so Matt goes in to the court and um, and he sits down and the judge comes out and he goes, everybody in here with traffic tickets and he hit his gavel are all dismissed. You do not have to pay a thing. And Matt was like, what? And he was like, yes, I've got Christmas money now to spend on my family. You know, it was like a thank you, Jesus moment. But I was like, how in the world did you get set free and not have to pay a fine when we were guilty as guilty as all get out? And uh, yeah, that's that. That would be a story. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, definitely I I was repentant. (laughs) But the the law, the law doesn't care about repentance you're like that's what the that's what the judge said so i i guess i don't pay anything when you even went up to the person that was that you were to pay your ticket to the the fine for and she was like oh honey did you just come out of that courtroom and you were like yeah well the judge dismissed everything now you just put that money back in your pocket i don't want to see it because the judge isn't going to take it he isn't going to have it because it's christmas merry christmas and i mean we were like oh i mean we felt even more guiltier yeah Yeah, i mean to an extent there's no doubt that, that that's the truth because the law is unforgiving in those regards but that's the purpose of the law in the first place the law is there to show us our sin and it's to show us exactly what blair was talking about that we are a people that need to be repentant we need to be repentant on a daily basis. Did you have something, Mallory? No. Okay. Xavier, did you have anything? I was, we went through it, and it's, I'm just going to, like, maybe a synopsis, but, like, it starts out telling us that Jesus was there teaching, and then the Pharisees come in and set, start just automatically accusing this woman of her adultery and everything like that, and I find it really funny that Jesus does this is that they just come in immediately like he's in the middle of teaching and they interrupt him and so he's annoyed with them being interrupt interrupting him so he just bends down on the ground and just starts drawing and writing on the ground he's like you just interrupted me and he was 
probably a little bit upset. But then they kept bothering him and asking him and asking him. And he was just like, I'm tired of this. So he stands up and he says, let whom, who, him who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. Because he was fed up with them asking him. And then he just bent down on the ground waiting for them to leave. He already waited for them to leave originally, but they just wouldn't stop asking him the question. And he just got fed up with them. And I, And then one by one they leave. And I find this funny is that Jesus knew they were trying to test him and he was just done with it. He was tired of them coming to him and accusing this woman for what she's done wrong and this person for what they've done wrong and asking him, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? And he just was done with it and went down, bent down on the ground and started writing. And then whenever all of them had left, he stood up and was like, wait, where'd they go? I thought they were still here. <laughs> and she says they left. No one's condemned me. And so then he forgives her of her sins, yeah. which I find really cool, is that even in moments where we represent Christ and people come in against us to accuse us of what we've done wrong or accuse other Christians and people who believe in Christ of what we've done wrong, we don't have to immediately answer them. We can just ignore the accusation and continue on. And then ask them the sim- a simple question like, well, have you done this? And with that, that shows the forgiveness of Christ that we don't really have to worry about our sins anymore because Christ has come and forgiven us of all of them if we really accept him. And that's really cool is that it doesn't matter. I mean, to man, it does matter that this woman did commit adultery. And to Jesus, I'm sure he was still heartbroken that she did commit adultery. But in the end, he still forgave her because he loves her enough that he wants her to eventually be with him in heaven eternally. Yeah, absolutely. Because he came for all creation. He came to redeem all. He is the atoning sacrifice for all. And that is a a beautiful thing. Did you have something else? No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm just. I was just reading, and I mean, it says the the author of Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Um, song John Newton. He was a slave trader. He traded slaves, and he was not good. He was not a good man, and um, and he repented of all of his sins. And through that, we have some great hymns that we even sing today in the church in the act of repentance. I mean, we all have a past life. Mm. We all have a life that we haven't lived yet. Mm -hmm. And if we hold each other to their standards of what they were when they were born or when they're 10 or when they're, you know, if we go by decades, 20, 30, 40, well, you did this when you were 10 years old. If we keep holding on to that and not allowing that person to grow, yeah. there's got to be there's got to be forgiveness. Yeah. There's got to be a what is that person like right now? And I, my prayer is always, Jesus, help me see this person as you see them. Yeah. Help me to see them with your eyes, yeah. not my worldly eyes that just wants to you know rip them or shred them apart or go ah ha ha i caught you in a trap and you're wrong you liar because that would be my flesh but truly my prayer is lord please 
open up my eyes to see this person as you see them. I want to see them as you see them. And to me, I may not be seeing good. I may be seeing tendencies of evil. But help me to see um, what you see. Keep me safe. Keep me protected. That I don't fall into a sinful trap of, of evil um, against that person, against myself, or even against my own family. And, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of teaching in this passage of Scripture that really makes oneself reflect. Yeah, no, I mean, I think about that, and I think of the, the times that just as a husband— you know, uh, we've been married 21 years and there's been moments that, yeah, the accusation to try and keep the spotlight on myself that I have tried to bring up things of the past against Blair, you know, like saying, well, this is what you did 10 years ago. And I, I don't want to fight unfair like that. That's unfair fighting um, or unfair blaming or I'm guilty of something that she, you know, she is saying to me and I feel bad about it. And so therefore, instead of uh, repenting my immediate reaction, my sinful, my flesh, my Matt Rolance, who I am reaction is to try and blame my wife of, well, this is what you did. And, uh, and that's wrong. That's wrong. I have to repent of that. And I have to tell her, I'm sorry, I was wrong in that moment. I was wrong in those moments. And, and then try not to do it again the next time when we're having a discussion or what have you. Now, am I perfect? Do I do, I do that? Do I, do I abide by everything that I say and completely hold to it true? I'll let, you, I'll let my wife answer that. No, but, but, but I don't either. And that's how, I mean, with marriage, even as our personal relationship with Christ, um, I mean, Christ loves us because he loves us and then because he does, but in marriage with you, Matt is I, I need to know you. I need to discover you. I need to get to know who you are. And there are those times of forgiveness and grace. And yet again, those moments of prayer of I pray specifically in those moments of if there's a strife or an argument is um, Lord place me in his shoes right now where has he walked where has he been what has he been thinking what kind of business meetings has he been dealing with and help me to see where he's coming from because I'm just mad at him and and being mad isn't isn't always the right thing but how can I approach him in a way that um, would bring a calming uh, to a argument or a disagreement and and then you work on that you work from that and then help me and my that I'm being open and I'm being honest and because coming into marriage when I said I do, um, back on June 19th, 1999, I wanted an open and honest marriage. And you and I have really strived hard to do that. And, and yes, we get lack of sleep because of our conversations at night. But I think it's good. Yeah. I mean, I think conversation, 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 communication, communication, communication. You cannot over-communicate. Um, is good and and in return I need to communicate communicate and communicate to God 
as um, my ultimate priority, God first, and then then us, and then our children, and then our career. And um, so just living by those godly principles that Christ Jesus shows us. So yeah, I mean, no one's perfect, but we continue to ask for forgiveness. And in return, just as Christ forgave us, may we forgive others. And sometimes that's not easy, but it is what God wants. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I even think of it in the same way with, with our kids, you know, we've obviously been with them all of their lives and we could so easily treat our 12 year old daughter as if she's two still. And there's many people that have fallen into that kind of a trap where they, they look at their child and they don't want to admit that they're growing up. And they struggle with that. And that's such a strife and a, and a barrier for them that they keep suppressing their children and being an overbearing parent in America. They call it a helicopter parent uh, where they're just always on top of their kids' heads, making sure that they're doing the right thing. And, and of course, we've seen it here um, as we've been in India for over 10 years where we've seen parents that, are you studying? You better be studying. No playing. No playing on the video games. No playing basketball. No playing football. You better be studying because this is how you're going to. And sometimes that's not, you know, we look at our kids because we see the future in them and we are forcing our own future onto them. And is that really any different than what these scribes and pharisees are doing in this moment where they're trying to force their opinion on the crowd on society on jesus we can do the same thing as parents and so to kind of wrap it up does anybody else have anything else to say all right to kind of wrap it up let's just go back through this we have a woman a sinful woman she's brought to jesus to trap jesus then we have jesus's response i do not condemn you go and from now on sin no more and so i ask you today what is the sin that you're carrying what is the burden that you're carrying what is the shame that you're carrying what's the cultural or community wrong that maybe you offended somebody with this week the simple thing that we do is Lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Leave it there. And from now on, go and sin no more. That river of living water we were talking about last week, remember, is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, then if you will invite him into your heart and into your life, he will fill that place that was filled with your previous sin and shame and wrong. And as you repent of your sin, the Holy Spirit will reside within you. And he will then flow out of you all the while remaining in you. Isn't it awesome to serve an omnipresent God? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day. And that everybody will be safe and sound. And that everybody will have an awesome day every single day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.